0: All right. Yeah, you can go ahead and put up the first slide. Yeah, thank you. If uh, if if you've been with us for uh, for the last several weeks, we've we've been going through a series um, just looking at the nature and character of Jesus, like who Jesus is at his very core, and and so we've been looking how Jesus uh, is lowly and gentle has been kind of the title we've been working through and. Now, we've just seen this beautiful picture of who Jesus is, like he is uh, humble and gentle and meek and loving and kind and forgiving and patient. And I mean, just amazing who Jesus is. And, and as we've looked at who he is in his character and his essence, we've been reminded that as, as people who love Jesus and who follow Jesus, that we are called to be like him. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure if you're aware, but, but the word Christian, it literally means little Christ. Um, it, it's like if you named your child Junior, right? And so it, it means little Christ. The idea was that uh, when Christians took that name upon themselves in the early church, what they were saying is, if you see us, if you see the way we live, you see an example of Jesus, who Jesus was. We are little examples of Christ. And I find that so beautiful, but I also find that amazingly challenging. Because when I look at who Jesus is, as we've seen these last several weeks, that He is kind and gentle and lowly and loving, and when I think that that's who God calls me to be, and I know my own heart, and I know my own character, and I see this massive gap, between who Jesus is and who I am. Um, because Jesus is patient, and I'm very much not. Uh, Jesus is kind, and often I am not. Uh, Jesus is humble, and I am, and very proud of it. Um, uh, right? And so there's just like this massive gap. And, and the reality is, there is a struggle, there is a battle that takes place in my heart, every day. And it's this battle between who uh, I know Jesus has called me to be and who I know in my natural flesh I really am. And, and we're going to just spend some time this morning looking at this struggle, this battle, because as we kind of transition into, all right, this is who Jesus is, and this is who He has called us to be, it's important that we talk about the gap, the gap between who we are and who He is, and the struggle and battle that takes place in the gap. And so um, I'm so thankful that, that the men that God used to write the Bible were just honest and open and transparent. And we're going to see that the Apostle Paul had the exact same struggle. And he writes about it in Romans chapter 7. And so uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter 7 this morning together. Now, um, I've been reading through the Bible this year in the New Living Translation. Um, and um, and I really like the way the New Living Translation um, translates Romans chapter 7. So you have it on your table. Um, and so this is, this is Romans chapter 7. If you want to follow along, this is the translation uh, that, that I'll be reading from. Um, and so just a, a couple of definitions before we read. Um, first is you're going to see the word law in here a lot, L-A-W. And so Paul's going to talk about the law, the law. Um, What he's talking about, just think Ten Commandments, all right? Think the rules that God had given his people primarily in the Ten Commandments. So if you remember the Ten Commandments, you have like uh, number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not lie. Uh, Number seven, keep your marriage promises. Number six, um, do not murder. You you remember those. And And so when you see the word law here, Paul is going to be talking about these commandments that God gave to his people, and I think that'll help us, all right? So uh, Romans chapter 7, and the apostle writes this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. And as a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. So there's hope right? Verse 5. Now, when we were controlled by our old nature, uh, sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. Now, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. Now, I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. Now, if there were no law, sin would not have had that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to life and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. And sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy, and its commands are holy and right and good. Wait, but how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good, The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. Now, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. You ever felt that way? I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that it is war. It is war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And then Paul just begins to worship and says, Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Let let me pray for us, and, and we'll look at this together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. And Jesus, we come before you, and we just pray that in these next few moments, that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our minds and give us understanding of what your word means. Uh, We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and soften our hearts, that we would be changed by your word. And Lord Jesus, as we come, I I would imagine we would all echo and amen what Paul has said, that uh, we feel the war raging within us. And so, Lord, we thank you that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, And so we pray in these next few moments that, Spirit, you would teach us in your word that you would encourage us in your word, that we would know that through you, Jesus, we can have the victory. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul uh, lays out uh, this, this war, this struggle, this, this battle that's raging within him. And what we're going to do is in two parts. This morning, we're going to look at what doesn't work, all right? And I think that's really important. Uh, because it might be that we, we default to certain things, thinking if I, if I do this, that, that'll that fix the problem. And so I want us to look at this morning what will not fix the problem. But it's really important that you come back next Sunday, because then we'll talk about what will fix the problem, all right? And so uh, I would encourage you, we, we've um, got some new stuff on order that we're going to be putting on the table soon, including notebooks um, but for today, you might just want to flip over that piece of paper with the translation. And I want us to get back into taking notes like we were pre-COVID. So I really want to encourage you to do that. There's something about writing what you hear that helps, uh, helps all of us remember. All right. So um, we're going to see three things that will not work in the battle. Uh, number one, we see this, that uh, as I battle my sinful desires, increasing my knowledge or understanding will not give me final victory. All right? Now look look at that again. As I battle my sinful desires, increasing my knowledge or understanding will not give me final victory. Now, um here's what here's what I want us to do and I don't want you to call this out loud um or or even necessarily write it down in, unless you feel comfortable, but we need to make this real, all right? And so here's what you need to do. If, if you're fighting a battle, you have to know who the enemy is. Is that true? Like, you have to know who the enemy is. I need you right now, and in fact, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to help us. I need you to think of a sin that you battle with. I need you to think of a, a sin, a temptation that you battle with. Because, see, we've got to make this real. It can't, it can't just be nebulous. Is that right? And so uh, let, me, let me remind you um, that... Are you listening? Say amen. Okay. We do not come to church because this is a museum for saints. We come to church because this is a hospital for sinners, right? We don't come here because we have it all sorted out. We don't we don't come here for that. We come here because we don't have it all sorted out. And so it is it's good to be real with ourselves, real with the Lord, and when appropriate, real with one another. All right? That might be is pornography just name it it could be a critical spirit it could be unforgiveness it could be greed it could be pride it could be a substance it could be a relationship but you you know what it is and and, and maybe you've kept this battle hidden We're going to talk about that next time as well, that uh, we'll never fight and win the battle alone. Maybe you've hidden this thing away because of shame, because of fear. But I need you in your mind to just picture that thing right now. Because we're going to talk about what's not going to kill it. But we're going to see next time what will kill it. All right? So, Holy Spirit, man, help us just to picture that, whatever that is in our mind right now. And, Lord, whatever that is, from, from lust to pride to greed to anger, whatever that sin is that we just can't seem to have victory over, Jesus, we, we just pray that we could just envision that and that today could be a beginning of real victory in Christ. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That thing, whatever it is for you, um, uh, increasing your knowledge or understanding will not give you victory over it. Uh, here's, here's what Paul says. Now remember, uh, the Apostle Paul was a, a lawyer by trade. He was a legal scholar. He was a religious scholar. He was as educated as you could get in his culture. He, he would have, you know, two degrees from Oxford, two from Cambridge, one in religion, one in law right? He is as educated as you can get. This is what he says. Uh, Look up here. He says, at one time, I lived without understanding the law, right? So uh, so Paul's default was, I'm just going to go and get more understanding. I'm just going to go and study. But when I learned, right, when I gained knowledge, the command not to covet, for instance, and so here's Paul naming his sin. Thank you, Paul. The power of sin came to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death. But Paul says, and we saw this a minute ago, Paul uses his own sin. So if if Paul was here and we said, Paul, what is the one you battle with? Paul would say coveting, right? Wanting my neighbor's wife, wanting my neighbor's house, wanting my neighbor's life, wanting my neighbor's body, meaning body type. Like I'm short, they're tall, like I, I want what someone else has. And this is what Paul says. He says it's very interesting because when I read in the law, do not covet. He said actually, what it did in me was make me want to covet all the more. Right? Um, it, it's it's. Um, uh, has anyone here? You don't have to raise your hand. I don't know if anyone here has ever been on a diet, um, but but I have, and for about forty two years. And here's the thing, like. Being around chocolate cake doesn't make me want to eat chocolate cake less. Does that make sense? Like, I don't, I don't, like, I was in the back with the children's thing going, choose the biscuit, choose the biscuit, right? Like, being around the temptation doesn't make me want to do it. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, the more I read about do not covet, the more it awakened in me the very desire to do it. And Paul is saying this, the more I studied, the deeper I got in sin. And so gaining understanding, he thought, if I can just learn, then it'll help me. Um, a, a man by the name of Benjamin Franklin, he was uh, one of the founders of America. He was a statesman and a scholar and a scientist. A really amazing man, Benjamin Franklin was. And uh, he came up with what he called his 13 virtues. Uh, Google that when you get home, not now. Uh, His 13 virtues. And uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, decided that he would take these 13 virtues and uh, he would spend time on them. And he did this for about 50 years. And he would focus on these 13 virtues, trying to develop them in his life. And when he writes in his autobiography, Getting to the End of His Life, he says, This is what I discovered about my 13 virtues. They were good, it was worth trying but I couldn't do any of them. It was good. I mean, I I spent my life, one of them was temperance and one of them was thoughtfulness. Like he said, those were good things I tried, but what I realized after 50 years was I did not have the ability to do it. And that's what Paul is saying here. And so we can, we, can, we can set the goal. We can gain understanding. If you go into Waterstones and go to the self-help section, there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of books to help you conquer every imaginable problem you might have. Now, listen carefully. I'm not saying those are bad. Those can be really, really helpful. But they will not give us the ultimate victory because this is not a mental battle. This is a spiritual battle. Now... So we, we need to renew our mind for sure. But how do we renew our mind, Paul says, with the word of God, with the word of God. And so we're not saying don't try to think of better ways to beat this thing you're, you're doing. And so, uh, for example, um, had a guy, a church, a pastor in America, and, and he just struggled with looking at things, you know, pornography on his computer. And so he came to me one day and he said, here's what I need you to do. I need you to come to my house. And I want you to put passwords on everything in my house and don't tell me what they are. That was a great idea. That took understanding and knowledge. That was a great idea. We're not saying don't have great ideas. What we're saying is this, that getting smarter won't fix the problem. Everybody with me? Um, And so I, I think this is what Paul is kind of saying here. And this is what I would think. As I grow in my understanding of who God is and who I am, I realize my complete inability to conquer my sinful desires. Paul, Paul says the more I learn about coveting, the more I realize I cannot stop coveting. The, the, the more I learn this book, and I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but, but the more I read this book, the more I love it and the more I want to do it and the more I realize without God's help, I don't have a chance, right? Right? Now, if I I just read it from an intellectual standpoint, it's fascinating how they built the pyramids, blah, blah, blah. But if I'm reading it from a transformational, like this book is the living word of God, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and God wants to use this to train me and teach me and change me and make me lowly and humble like Jesus, then I realize without his help, I don't have a chance. And that's what Paul said. All right, so what will not work? As I battle my sinful desires, increasing my knowledge or understanding will not give me the victory. Next, uh, we see this secondly, that as I battle my sinful desires, increasing my self-determination will not give me final victory. What I mean by self-determination is trying harder. Try harder. Uh, Sometimes that's kind of the message we might say in church, and we don't even realize it. We might say things like pray harder, read more, Come to church more often. And what, and what we're saying is try harder. And again, those are all good things. Praying is good and reading your Bible is good. Coming to church is great. But, but try harder. Self-determination alone can not do it. Uh, look what Paul says here. Paul says this. He says, I, I really don't understand. I, I, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. And I want to do what is right, but I can't. I don't have the ability. I want to do what is good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Have you ever felt that? I have. I've even left my house some mornings and just said, you know, I will not do that today. And, uh, and I've usually done it within the first hour or whatever that was. I will not think that today and, uh, and and I've usually thought it before I've walked out of the door. Um, I will not lose my temper with my children ever again, Lord. <laughs> Thank you for the honest giggle, amen. Have we all been there? Like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry I lost my temper with my children. Lord, it'll never happen again. Shut up, I'm praying. Anyways, Lord, would you just... Are <laughs> You ever been there? I have, right? Not recently. but But, you know, it, it's just who we are, isn't it? And we just realize, like, I don't want to do that, Lord. But, man, why am I doing the very thing that I don't want to do? And, Lord, I really want to do that. I want to be more kind, more loving. But why did I say that unkind word? Right? That's where Paul's at. Okay? So getting smarter won't fix it. And I want you to look. Look at this passage. And I want you to see, I want to do what is right. Right? Right? I do what I hate, I want to do, Whoa. I want to, I want to, I don't want to. And that phrase is really important in the Greek, all right? Remember the Bible, this would have been written in Greek originally, right? And that phrase, I want to, literally means to be resolved, a resolution, right? Uh, a resolution in legal terms is a powerful thing. It's something that governments do legal entities do. We make a resolution, and here it is. It's a a declaration of war is a resolution. That's the word here. So Paul is saying, I have resolved to do what is right. I have resolved to do what is right. I have resolved to do what is good. I have resolved to not do what is wrong, and I do all of the opposite. And this word resolved means, it's the idea in English of like getting yourself worked up. I don't know if you've ever been to like a pep rally are like um, a football match where, like, remember that time Aston Villa won? Like, when and you're there and everybody's excited or you go to a Liverpool match and, and everybody's singing, you'll never walk alone, or, or whatever it might be. Like, you're in an atmosphere that's just kind of buzzing and humming and you kind of get yourself pumped up. I was watching, um, I was having a hard time falling asleep the other night and uh, some flipping channels, and Rocky II was on. And um, anybody ever seen Rocky II? Oh, get right with the Lord. You need to see Rocky too, and um, and they come to that like training montage. I love a good montage, and they're doing the montage with Eye of the Tiger, right? And man, I just got like it's, it's, I'm getting really worked up, and I'm like, man, I'm gonna become a boxer. Like I'm gonna do this, and I'm, I'm and, and, man, I'm, I'm gonna lose more weight. I'm gonna read my body. and then by t- the time the song was over, I was like eating chips again, just watching the movie, right? Okay, you, like I, I love a good montage. All right, I've the Tiger. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, I had the eye of the tiger. I had the passion, I had the motivation. I was ready to go and I failed every time. Here's the thing. Don't miss this. This is what Paul's saying. You can't beat it with your mind and you can't beat it with your emotions. Let me say that again. Remember that thing I asked you to think about? You cannot beat it with your mind and you cannot beat it with your emotions, all right? And then the last one. Um, As we battle sinful desires, uh, our our mind can't beat it, our emotions can't beat it. And then uh, lastly, we see this. As I battle my sinful desires, becoming a follower of Jesus will not give me final victory. And just hold on, because I'm going to explain that, right? Everybody's like, you better, right? um uh, my mind won't um won't beat it my emotions won't beat it and becoming i use the phrase intentional follower of jesus a christian someone who loves jesus becoming a follower of jesus will not beat it and and we know that for a lot of reasons we're going to unpack that um one reason we know it is uh is because paul was a christian and paul was facing this battle and 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 Paul is describing his current state. He's not describing who he was before he fell in love with Jesus. He's describing himself in the present, who he is as he loves Jesus. Are you with me? And so Paul, Paul we have no doubt, Paul loved Jesus. And in fact, he loved his word. Look what he says here. He says, I love God's law with what? All my heart. Paul says, I love the word of God with all my heart. But the problem is there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, Paul says this, look, I I love Jesus and I love his word, but the battle is still there because there's there's the Holy Spirit within me, but there is also my flesh that remains and they are in this constant battle where uh, where when I'm tempted to do that thing, when I'm tempted to. To, to, to look when, when I know I shouldn't look, when I'm tempted to think, when I know I shouldn't think, when I'm tempted to speak and I know I shouldn't speak, I hear the Holy Spirit say, don't do it. Don't do it. Get up. Walk away. In fact, the Bible says, whenever we're tempted, He always provides a way out. The Holy Spirit says, Kenny, run, run. Don't do it. And my flesh says, ah, just one more time. I mean, Jesus will forgive you. All you got to do is First John one nine it. He'll confess it. He'll forgive you, and just just fix it tomorrow. And that battle wages within us. And 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 maybe maybe seeing it this way uh, will will be helpful. Um, the, we can think of kind of three phases of following Jesus. Uh, first is justification. These are big fancy church words, but but we're going to see what they mean justification. It means I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right. And so the wages of sin is death. If I remain in my sinful state, I will die and spend eternity separated from God and all the good things of God but I'll, I'll also miss out on some of the good things of God here and now. It's not just about death later, but it's about death now and later. And so um, uh, the the day I'm, I'm going to, if it's all right, Andy Vaughn, can I use you as an example? Andy, what, you became a belief, follower of Jesus at what age do you think? In your teens, all right? So I'm just going to say 18, is that all right? Just for Okay, so at 18 years old, There was a moment in time in Andy Vaughn's life where the Holy Spirit spoke to Andy, and Andy realized, man, I I need to be forgiven of my sins. And so I'm imagining Andy prayed and said, Jesus, I believe you died and rose again for me. And Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. Jesus, there's nothing good in me. Jesus, would you come into my life and forgive me of my sins? And Jesus, make me a Christian. At that exact moment, Andy Vaughn, was set free from the penalty of sin. He was saved from the penalty. That means that from that moment on, however long Andy Vaughn lives on this earth, the second he dies, he will be in heaven with Jesus. Amen, church? The second his heart stops, yeah. (laughs) The second his heart stops, Andy will be in heaven with Jesus because the penalty of sin has been canceled. His debt has been paid by Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the debt Andy could not pay. And because of that, the penalty of sin, it no longer applies to Andy. All right? So, heaven is now his home. That's his destination. Now, did the Lord beam Andy up to heaven in that moment? Now, the answer is no. Everybody say no, because Andy's sitting right here. All right? Andy's still with us. Okay? Andy is still with us. All right? Uh, Andy, you are 38? Okay, 45. Okay, so that was a long time ago. Andy did that, and and now Andy's still here. So this is what's happening to Andy now, and we call it sanctification. And sanctification is this. I'm being saved from the power of sin. All right? So I have been saved from the penalty of sin. Done. I am being saved from the power of sin. Of sin. The penalty of sin no longer applies to, to, to Andy Vaughn, right? Heaven is his home. But now he's still here on earth and he's still tempted, right? Like, like any man or any woman. And so he is now uh, being saved from the power of sin. Uh, the power of sin wants to rule in his heart, but the Holy Spirit is in his heart. And so there's that battle. And, and the, the, the Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And when Paul says that, he's not saying you need to do good works to become a Christian. He's saying, no, no, once you're a Christian, get yourself in spiritual shape. Um, and, and so it's like going to the gym, right? You, you, you didn't make your body. God gave you your body. Now you go and get it in shape. Well, the Lord gave Andy salvation. And now the Lord is saying, go and work out your salvation. Get, get spiritually fit, right? And that's why we do the spiritual disciplines. And so justification, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. And then we see sanctification here and now. I am being saved from the power of sin. And then, uh, and then one day, Andy will experience glorification. I will be saved from the presence of sin. Uh, Revelation chapter 21 uh, says that one day for those who love and follow Jesus, that we will be in heaven and, and and the Apostle John says, and every tear shall be wiped away, and there shall be no sorrow, no sickness, no death, no mourning, for the old things have passed away. And he says, all things are now new. He says, one day in heaven, anything that sin has tainted will be new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, and we will spend... The rest of eternity in a place where there is no sin and no effect of sin. So you come to follow Jesus. You are saved from the penalty of sin. Uh, You are now following Jesus. You are being saved from the power of sin. And one day in heaven, you will be saved from the penalty of sin. Uh, Operation Torch was uh, operation in World War II. It was a joint a joint operation between the British and the Americans, and it took place in North Africa. And, uh, and it's, it's where, um, where Rommel, the desert rat, the Germans were fighting with the Brits and the Americans in the desert. And uh, eventually, eventually, the British and the Americans were victorious and pushed the Germans out of North Africa. It was the real kind of first victory the British had had. This is after Dunkirk and after many things had happened. And so, when news arrived at 10 Downing Street that they had been victorious over the Germans in North Africa, uh, one of Winston Churchill's advisors came to him and he he made the recommendation: let's let's make a decree that we ring the church bells across. Uh, Britain. Let's let's have the church bells ring and and let's proclaim celebration that we have defeated the Germans in uh, in North Africa, and uh, and so all of the cabinet were in agreement he said, that sounds like a wonderful idea. Let's ring the church bells. And Churchill thought, and then he he looked at the cabinet and said, No, we're not going to do that. And they were a bit taken back, and they said, well, well, why wouldn't we ring the church bells? Why why don't we celebrate? And then Churchill famously said, because this is not the end. This this isn't even the beginning of the end, but this is the end of the beginning. And Winston Churchill knew the battle was not over. And what Paul says is, the first step to winning the battle is giving your heart to Jesus knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But that is not the end of the battle. The battle still rages, but here's the difference. Now you have the weapons to win. Amen, church? Through the Holy Spirit and the Word. And that's why you need to come back next week. (laughs) You need to come back next week. Uh, Because don't walk away here thinking, wait, did Kenny say Jesus is not enough? No, 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 no. Kenny said that's step one to win in the battle. The Apostle Paul knew that himself. He said, I love Jesus, I'm following Jesus, but this battle still rages within me. And uh, you need to come back for chapter 8, because Paul's going to share with you and I how we can have victory. Uh, never lose sight that in Christ Jesus, we are not just winners, we are more than winners. He says we are more than conquerors. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, but... I just want to just say that if you're here and you're not sure if you've made the first step, the first step is what Andy Vaughn did when he was a teenager, it's what many of us have done, and that is there was a day in your life that you just said, Jesus, I I can't be the person you've called me to be, Jesus, I can't be the dad I need to be, I I can't be the wife, I can't be the employee, I can't be the neighbor that I want to be. And, and Jesus, I realize that I've sinned against You, and and that the wages of sin is death. And so, Jesus, would You come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and make me new? And Jesus, I want to follow You. I believe You died on the cross and rose from the grave. If if you've never done that, uh, when we're done today, please come and speak to me. Speak to Dan. We would love to share with you how you can take that first step. Not, but, but it could be that, that most of us are here and we've done that, and actually, we know we've given our hearts to Jesus. We know we love Jesus. But there is this thing in our life that keeps us beaten down. It it it, it, it we're, we're ridden with guilt and shame. And don't leave here with that. This is a safe place, and it might be today. You just need to to, to pull someone aside and say, Hey, could we go and talk and, and pray together? Uh, we were we were talking in the elders just this week about James says confess your sins one to another. There there is something liberating when we're able to speak with a brother or a sister in Christ and we can name that thing and we know that there's safety in that relationship to do that and just say would you pray for me in this because I, I don't want to lose my patience. I I, I, I want to be uh, generous. I I, I don't want to lust. Whatever it is like. If 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 you just need to pray with someone today, please do that. Um but, but don't carry that guilt and shame. Um Jesus died for that and he wants to redeem it and redeem you from it. All right. Uh let me uh let me pray for us, and then we'll uh I think we'll sing we'll sing our way out. Maybe um maybe that way maker one more time. Is that all right, Dan? And um and we'll sing that and then we'll uh we'll dismiss. Lord Jesus we just want to admit that as we